our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Hey guys, and welcome back to Our Deepest Fear with Romza. Today I'm here with a friend who is a very interesting character, to say the least. She's an artist, she's an activist, she's currently living in Kumaye land in San Diego, California. Her work weeks are carefully strategized via bullet point journal to include illustrating children's books for independent authors and publishers. Her fourth and fifth published books are scheduled to release by holidays this year. She's done figure modeling for fine artists and academies. She does one-on-one life coaching for a South American-based company. She's leading classes online in yoga, flexibility, and fitness. And she's running her own online Etsy shop and hand-painting commissions for individuals and corporate clients. For fun, she likes to hike and camp in nature, as well as cuddling up with her dog Lucy, a cup of tea, and binge reading books. She studied yoga for the last 16 years from Iyengar in Italy and Kripalu in the Berkshires. She enjoys exploring new movement patterns and practices to supplement her yoga habit from belly and pole dancing to most recently just running. Sam and her husband Patrick have and continue to collaborate on major community projects from forest meditation labyrinths, wall murals in three states, sculptures in museums and houses of worship, and running events such as sustainable fashion shows, meditative mandala workshops, full moon drum circles. Her most meaningful work is done and in service to the immigrant and refugee communities. Currently, that looks like working with the population at the U.S.-Mexico border at Tijuana and bringing supplies, art, yoga, and other forms of expression to the children currently living in limbo there. Welcome to our deepest fear, Sam. Thank you. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited. Me too. So tell me about some of that work that you're doing at the border. Sure. So I knew moving out here to California that I wanted to keep working um, in groups uh, in service to uh, immigrant and refugee groups. I'd worked with some undocumented minors uh, back on the East Coast in Boston, and it was just like the most gratifying work I'd ever really done. So down here, it just made complete sense. I'm like 15 miles from the border. Um, but I didn't even know where to start. So I got hooked up with some some organizations that already go down there, border angels and, and organizations like that, just to kind of meet the shelter, uh, the people running the shelters and the kids there. And from there, I met another artist, Valeria. And she was like, we could just go on our own. We don't have to wait for, you know, an organization's rules and regulations. We can just um, basically show up and do our own thing. It's Mexico. Like, it's Tijuana. Like, we can kind of <laughs> wing it. 
So we pulled our resources together and just started going down there and teaching art and sketchbook keeping and drawing and storytelling with the kids down there. And um, it's just been it's been really amazing. Like the kids are just wonderful. They're from all different parts of Mexico, Central America, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras. And um, yeah, yeah. I love it. That's really close to my heart from the projects that I've been involved with in the past. So I think that's incredible. Where did you grow up as a kid? I grew up on Long Island. So my parents immigrated to New York and met in Brooklyn. My mom's from the Dominican Republic. My dad's from Peru. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, and basically, I happened in in New York. And they moved to Long Island and grew up in Farmingdale, South Shore. What were you like as a kid growing up? Oh, total weirdo. I mean, like, not that different from what I'm like now. So I didn't speak English growing up, but I talked a lot. So Spanish is my first language. And then when I got sent to, I grew up with, like, my grandmother and my grandfather, who's an ice cream truck driver. She was, like, you know, cooked, cleaned, prayed the rosary before every meal kind of deal, like, super Catholic. And then I go to, like, American public school, and, like, nobody can understand what I'm saying. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll just start drawing um, because it's not an interactive thing. So I like spent my very young years drawing uh, Pokemon and like tigers and lions for like the other kids. And I was like, this is almost like having friends. And, um, you know, 30 years later, I'm doing the same thing basically, but for money. (laughs) So, yeah, I was like a pretty... I don't know. As a kid, I was like pretty grown up. Like I never wanted to hang out with the other kids. I wanted to hang out with their parents and like help cook or talk about politics. And I've just, I've always been that way. I love it. That's where, that's where we have a lot of similarities because we are both Enneagram eights and Enneagram eights uh, all have a childhood trauma of having to grow up earlier than other people. So uh, I used to also connect with most of my friends' parents more than I connected with my friends. Yeah, for sure. Even like the neighbors, like, oh my gosh, they would they couldn't stand me because all their parents would talk about how great I was. <laughs> I was like, I don't have to be in your club. You don't have to let me up into the into the clubhouse because I'm at the kitchen table with your mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with your mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what was your family like growing up? My family growing up was I like I said so I grew up with my grand my um father's parents like literally I slept in between them the first like six years of my life and was like inseparable and then when my grandfather died um from pancreatic cancer my grandmother just fell into this huge depression and she like was basically unable to care for me in the way that she had been so I like moved in with my parents and my sisters, my sister and brother. And um, that was like a really hard transition to like have to sleep in my own bed and share a room with my sister and share toys and anything at all. Cause I was basically living life like an only child for the first six years. Um, and my grandparents were very religious. So it was like, don't do this, do that because Jesus said so, because God said so, right? I moved in with my parents and my parents were like, do this, don't do that because we said so. And I'm like, nah, nah, I answer to a higher power. Like, <laughs> why? <Grandma. laughs> <laughs> like, 
<laughs> you know, like I'm, it was just like everything was justified from through the Bible with my grandparents, and I felt like I was very like zealous, like I was very very religious. I I believed everything word for word out of the Bible, and um, and my parents are very like I don't know like casually Christian, like they re- they're like one hundred and ten percent on holidays, but the rest of the time they're like. We're not going to like pray in the whole rosary before every meal and stuff. And like every night I would like cry at night and be like, God, please don't condemn their souls to hell. Like they don't know what they're doing. And, you know, I went to church like multiple times a week and all of that and just like prayed for my parents and my siblings that didn't know any better. Um, that's, that's intense. Yeah, it's like Catholic church for you. For sure. For sure. What did you want to be when you grow up? Uh, I wanted to live alone in the mountains writing books with the animals. We're um, pretty close. Yeah, I'm pretty close. I'm pretty close. And then when I got uh, a little bit older and traveled a bit more, like still kid, like still like elementary school age, I wanted to be a flight attendant and have like saucy affairs like around the world, but ultimately retire in the mountains and live alone with animals. <laughs> I love it. So now let me like so you actually live a very unconventional lifestyle or you have lived a very unconventional lifestyle. Speaking about affairs, right? You are in an open relationship for many years now. What's that been like? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm not in an open relationship, but we're definitely in a polyamorous relationship, which is like, uh, I think, cause I think, I think the reason I shy away from the term open is like anything goes. Whereas um, like, Conscionable non-monogamy is like like there's clear communication on it. So my husband and I we got we started dating ten years ago. I was nineteen years old. He was twenty one, and right from the get go, it was like him and I started dating, and I was like, I'm not going to stop sleeping with women just because we're together. And he was like, Cool, that sounds great. Like I have no problem with that. And like, I mean, that was like one of the first conversations we had before we were even like officially boyfriend and girlfriend. And, you know, we went through all college together and it was like, why, like, I love you so much and you love me so much. So why would we want to take that like college experience away from one another of just like being reckless, stupid kids and having like frivolous, you know, sexual relationships with other people? Like, let's just do it together because that's going to be even more fun. And then college, we did. And then college ended. And it was like, all right, well, what are, like, why should we not live out the rest of our 20s, like, the way we want to? And then we're like, all right, we might need some, like, help navigating this. So we started looking into communities and, and books and podcasts and, like, Life on the Swing Set and all of that. All of, all of this, like, all these resources, like, whole world opened up to us. It was like, oh, it's not just us being, like, slutty teenagers. Like, <laughs> there's actually, like, a, an entire culture around this. And there's, like, the right, not the right way, but there are better ways of, of going about all this than maybe we had been exploring. So, it's been a journey for sure. I don't, I don't regret it at all. I love my life. What have been some of the challenges? Challenges, um, other people, the other people, right? So it's not just um, two egos to contend with. It's like the third person or the other partners or whatever. Even if it's just in for one, it's easier when it's just like for one encounter, and it's just like the other person's also in the lifestyle, like it's kind of what we call it, like you're in the lifestyle, like you're into BDSM or you're into kink or you're into polyamory. 
whatever you're like into a lifestyle, you get it. Like you understand what consent is. You understand what whatever like the terms and conditions are and you can talk about it and it's still sexy versus when it's like people from like the vanilla world, which is like people who are just – I don't know who are like, oh, I've never even thought about sleeping with a couple before. I've never even like considered that a married person might have uh, an extramarital affair and it would be okay. Like they get a high five from their husband out the door. Those people are definitely the challenges because it's like, even if there's like this raw attraction, it's just like you're setting yourself up for drama because they, you know, they don't understand consent in the way that people in the lifestyle do and they don't really understand what's going on and then there's like just a recipe for broken hearts for sure i mean it, it's definitely different like if i have a relationship with you and i have a relationship with somebody else mm-hmm. and then they have a relationship with somebody else there's there's so many relationships because it's like me and you me and them you and them us three together and then all the other variables of regular life so I absolutely yeah there's so many different configurations I mean that's yeah. something that we talked about a lot like on our so for the past year um Patrick and I were in a relationship with a woman and we we all lived together and we had a podcast that spoke specifically about that about all the different configurations of um of of a relationship of a relationship of this, of this type and um yeah complex but it's like three it's like three times the amount of drama like i said it's also like three times the amount of love and like adventure right yeah for sure for sure and eight's definitely like variety right yeah never never a dull moment (laughs) for sure all right so let's let's segue a little bit yoga what introduced you to yoga because in my experience at least living in costa rica um Catholicism really shuns uh, the idea of yoga. Um, so it's like it's the devil's uh, playground or whatever, whatever they call it. Everything is the devil. So what it like what introduced you to yoga and like what what was the barriers that you had to overcome to even start practicing internally and externally? Sure. So actually, it's interesting that you, you bring up Catholicism because that actually plays a huge part in that um, a big falling out that I had with with my religion growing up was after my grandfather died seeing all of my family so like torn up about it like they were like he's dead and this is the first death that I'd ever experienced as a child right I'm six years old and um I'm looking around I'm like why is everyone so devastated and they're like he you know you know, Abby in Spanish right they're all praying and crying they're you know he's dead and I'm like yeah but he was a great guy like he's he's definitely in heaven right now, and like okay, what is he's seventy seven when he passed away? Like I like I I have you know that means I have seventy one years until I get to see him. But what's seventy one years compared to eternity in heaven with my grandfather? I'm like you guys are way older than me. So like what are you even possibly upset about when like what is what is forty years without him compared to an eternity in heaven? And um, so that began to really shatter my, or like, it made me start to like question like, oh, the, the adults around me don't actually believe what they're telling me. And like, I have to pray twice as hard for them and like advocate twice as hard for their, for the salvation of their souls. Um, and then when my 
religion teacher I used to take like extra classes when she died in this like totally random like car accident that like really broke it for me because I was just like why would God kill a good person who was young my grandfather was old he lived a great life like not that he deserved to die but like I was at peace with it like if they didn't bother I was like okay yeah old people die that's okay but like young people dying randomly when they had more like good work to do like God's work to do didn't sit well They put me in a class with a new religion teacher, and she told me that anybody who wasn't baptized goes to hell. And I was like, well, you said that getting baptized is what gives you eternal life. So if you're not baptized, then you should just like rot. And she's like, oh, you can't say things like that. And like, no, no, no. And I was like, okay. So like I have a best friend in in elementary school, and she – like her family's Hindu. And she's like, well, then the best thing you can do is convert them. And I'm like, you're telling me right now that if she gets into a freak accident, like my last my last teacher, like she's also like eight, nine years old. She's going to go to hell. Like that's what you're telling me right now. And basically the woman was like, yeah. And I so I just like stopped, basically stopped believing as hard as I did. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just turn to Hinduism. Like that was my reaction <laughs> as an eight-year-old. So I just like started asking, <laughs> I'm going to say her name, but this is a girl, she came from, um, her parents were also immigrants and they came from Gujarat in, in India and they spoke another language as well. And like their food was different, just like my food was different. And she watched Bollywood films, just like I watched telenovelas. And like, even though like our, it's not like our cultures had to do with one another it was like I could relate to this girl because she had a childhood similar to mine in that how different it was to all the other kids at school and she would dress me up in her saris and take me to her cultural events and her parents explained fasting to me and I would eat vegetarian food and then yeah my godmother basically mentioned this like hot new like workout that she was doing and at this point I'm in like seventh grade and she's like, Oh yeah, I'm doing, you know, yoga. And I was like, Oh, I kind of know about yoga. I saw a book about it. I started taking books out in the library. And I went to my first yoga class in when I was 14 in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And I mean, the rest was history. I totally fell in love with the yoga instructor. I thought she was the coolest person ever. Everyone was really nice to me. And I just, you know, I read Siddhartha by Herman Hesse, and I basically just like I never looked back. <laughs> it was just like over, or begun, if you will. Yeah, and it began right. Same thing. Exactly. <laughs> One of the same. Uh, I love it. I mean, you've been practicing for sixteen years now. So, like, what's kept you in that game? I know yoga has there's eight arms of yoga. I mean, most people think mm-hmm. of it as a hot workout, but like it's not really a workout. That's just mm-hmm. like a Western thing. Totally. Um, y- yoga is a lifestyle practice. Yoga has so much depth. Um, yoga is also like probably the oldest practiced uh, thing that we have in sense in the sense of like health and uh, wellness. It, because a lot of the yogis uh, would go and transmit this information to in China and Japan, and um, the Chinese created traditional Chinese medicine from Ayurveda, from yoga. So, like, what? Yeah. So, what's what's kept you in the game in this ancient practice or this hot workout, whatever you want to call it? Mm-hmm. Well. I think that's what it is, is that because I because I had so wholeheartedly subscribed to 
the idea that um like through through catholicism where it's like how how do i how should i eat how should i treat other people how should i treat myself how should i think how should i act and then like i had to like let all of that go because i was like this is not the truth um and and i was like really depressed like i was really depressed as a kid losing losing that religious ass it was my whole life my whole identity um and I was like very close to suicidal when yoga came into my life because I was like, fuck this. And I don't know if we're allowed to, I mean, I guess it's your podcast probably we're allowed to curse, but, um, you can say whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. So when yoga came into my life and, and I started studying Hinduism and Buddhism, it was like, oh, if I kill myself, it's not over. Like, that's not an out. I'm just going to be reincarnated with bad karma. Like that, there's an op- like that's an option now, right? Like that's a huge like maybe I don't want to fucking kill myself versus like like oh it'll just be over and then I like I don't have to like suffer anymore, and then suffering brought me to Buddhism. So from the very very get go, like yes I was invited to like a hot new workout with my godmother, right? At like and the physical aspect, but I always looked at it as like a mindset, um, worldview. So that's where I started. That's where I started studying from. From like a like, how can I save my life? How can I build a life? How can I build an identity um, after losing, after losing so much? You know. For sure. What What's an aspect of yoga right now that you are, I guess, diving deeper into, or um, expanding your awareness of? Hmm. Sure. I guess I would say, well, it kind of ties in from earlier. So uh, there are uh, the yamas and niyamas, like you were saying, the eight, mm-hmm. uh, right. So um, one of the um, observances, so there's not yamas and niyamas, there's observances and restrictions. And one of those is called brahmakarya. So on like a basic level, translates to energy management. And then, like, on a, like, basic historical level, like, when yoga was not for, like, common day householders, but for people, like, for yogis, like, mystics, that was just celibacy, right? So how do we apply that to, like, a householder, like, childbearing, married person type, you know? Um, Well, it's actually perfect because most married people don't have sex anyway. Yeah, true life. (laughs) That's not my – that is not the problem I have (laughs) for sure. So I think that, like – but because because of that, right, Um, Ramakaya just, like, with – when it comes to energy, like, pleasure versus restriction and all of that is definitely something that I've been um, exploring where it's like, okay, when am I being disciplined and when am I being, like, an ice-cold bitch – to even myself, like when it comes to anything, like yeah, sure, sex, affection, or like pe- like social type things, but also like food or rest or or um, social media, social media, yeah, for sure, absolutely. So I'm definitely like digging a little bit deeper into into what that balance looks like. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before in the last like year many times. I mean, that's something that I've dug really deep into. Um, not so much in the yoga tradition, but a little bit deeper into the Taoist tradition. Tradition, which is like semen retention, um, still sex, but also like multi-orgasmic, full-body orgasm type stuff. Yeah, for sure. And it's like I think it's all about intention. So this is something that's 
for sure in in yoga it's called sankalpa is heart's desire it's like what is your deepest heart's desire and like that's your motivator for practice for meditation for all of it and then that's kind of been watered down in in day-to-day like uh, modern day yoga to just be like okay just set an intention for this class but there's actually a lot of like granted yes it's like a watered down version from like the original text and word but there's a lot of beauty to setting an intention to the next 60 minutes or 90 minutes and saying okay I devote I'm devoting this time to xyz um or going into any action and making this meal and my intention is health I'm making you know okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go have sex, but like my intention is to make love or to connect or like, I'm going to go on social media and my intention is to connect or is my intention to distract. And even just claiming it is a healthier way of going about it than being on autopilot for food, sex, or social media, right? Like if we have clear intentions, we have clear results. So there's power in that, you know? For sure. I a hundred percent agree. And that's where, that's where I guess this conversation is going next is like intentions, right? Like how many you've taught yoga for a very long time. I've taught jujitsu for a very long time. And for me, the greatest growth that I've seen in my students and myself uh, through jujitsu, through movement, through meditation, through whatever it is that I was teaching, um, just like you, uh, I'm a polymath. I'm into uh, numerous things and teaching numerous things. Right. But like the, the difference where I seen, I guess, growth, success, what, whatever, whatever that word is, expansion, I guess, would be the better one, always mm-hmm. came from a specific intention. And if I can hold my attention long enough on that intention, then it manifests. Yeah, absolutely. Have you, have you, um, have you had anything similar with your students? Definitely. I think every time, so back in Boston or back in back in Massachusetts where I lived before here and I was teaching a live class like live classes it was it wasn't until I was clear what the attitude or intention or goals of the studio or gym or um group of people like uh organization was until it wasn't until I was like clear what the attitude was there, like what the people were going there for, that I could actually teach classes that were meaningful. I could always teach classes that were like effective, okay, like physical mechanics, like we're going to do the thing. But depending on whether it's a veterans yoga class for senior citizens is going to look really different than a bunch of people who are, you know, healing from their last marathon run or are stressed out librarians and teachers at the public schools. So it's like, okay, get to know the people first. Like, why are you coming here? Oh, because somebody told you you should be here. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll definitely work on that. And like, we'll come up with something better than you should be doing this because it's good for you. Like, that's just not a recipe for anything except resistance. So yeah, for sure. Once it was clear with the intentions, then I could also lead a class that was more tailored to, to their wants, needs. And then even if they didn't really know what their wants and needs were yet, right? Yeah, I mean, that's usually the case, right? Uh, most, not only do they not know, they resist because they do know. Everybody knows their wants and needs, whether it's unconsciously or it's usually unconsciously. Um, but when it becomes conscious, they resist it. When it is unconscious, they resist it because there's a, there's that worthiness conversation or the good enough conversation or the safe enough or can I trust that I can share and be vulnerable Uh, about my wants and needs 
Sure. In this like, specific if environment. Claim, if I claim that I want, like if I, if once I figured out, okay, like quote unquote figured out what I want. Yeah. Do who am I to claim that out loud or ask this other person or admit or admit it? Like, what if I'm laughed at? What if, you know, what if they're like, no. And it's like, oh yeah, I knew I wasn't worthy of that. Yeah. Exactly what you said. And you'll get like that because it's like, you're supposed to say like, quote unquote, supposed to say, oh, I'm here for, I'm here to let go. I'm here to, um, to get into shape. And it's just like, Anytime people would come to say, come and say that to me, I'm like, if you want to get in shape, like I'll work out with you, but like yoga is not really like about that. Like it, it can be sure. And we can call it yoga, but (laughs) there's like more effective ways of like, what do you mean get in shape? Are you trying to like get rid of like love handles? Are you trying to like bulk up? Like, all right, what shape are you trying to make? Okay, great. Let me show you 12 other exercises that are going to be way better than a downward facing dog to get there. For sure. A hundred percent. Cause you could actually make it worse, whatever the problem is with yoga, because like, it's not made for that. Like it's not really made for that. Like it's been made for that now in the United States, but not really. True. Sure, not really. You can like make it work. That's the thing. It's like, if you have a group of people training for a marathon, and I'm teaching them a yoga class, then like solid. Like I, like I know enough about fitness, like fitness and movement and from other things that I can incorporate it and make it work in a quote unquote yoga class. Right. But if you're in a group of, you know, I was teaching classes with like 40 people in it. And it's like, if all of their, if all of their goals and intentions were to get into shape, like that just makes no sense. Is a 14-year-old girl next to a 76-year-old man next to a 30-year-old mom of set like of five. You know, it's just like what shape 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 of body definitely cannot be a a goal of all of ours to create together. <laughs> For sure. And shape of body I think is a really ignorant goal in a lot of ways because it has absolutely no relation to the function. Because if you're not clear on the function of what you want your body to do, then you can't be clear on the shape just because you've seen it on Instagram. Because how do you know that person doesn't have like crazy back problems or their knees are shot because they have such a fat ass and it just doesn't like it. it, It's the only uh, muscle that they've developed is their glutes. Dude, the only I mean, going to art school, like learn Photoshop. And like and you don't even need to have no Photoshop anymore because they just have apps that do it. And it's like anytime I'm scrolling through or like I'm with a friend, they're like scrolling through their feed, and I'm just like, wow, you follow a lot of like quote unquote fitness models, and they're like, oh my god, aren't they perfect? And I'm like, that's like here's the thing, like in this day and age, like that's editing because there's no like that's editing and angle either digitally or surgery wise because yes. human. Y- like literally like there's people who get like their ribs removed and like have butt implants and all of that. So I'm like, you know, I'm not going to compare myself to think to people who've been edited. Um, and I'm not saying I'm better than them uh, or worse than them or anything. I just don't think that that's like fair to myself. <laughs> yeah. It's not a fair comparison. It's not a fair comparison. All right. Let's segue a little bit. So we just went from like yoga and a little bit of inner peace. Now, Let's talk about your activist work. Like, I know you were on the front lines in a lot, a lot of different protests and some might call riots. So tell tell me about that. Sure. So I've always been, like I said, since I was a little kid, I wanted to be at the table with my uncles who were smoking cigars and drinking whiskey and 
you know, uh, debating politics. And basically the second I had the vocabulary for it, I was in there. Like, I'm about it. And <laughs> so enter college and studying, you know, uh, you know, history and all, all, all of that. Um, liberal, liberal arts. <laughs> liberal arts. No. Oh, my God. I wish I was a liberal arts major. No, I was an illustration major. Almost graduated. <laughs> but just realizing like, oh, yeah, there, sh- there could be. Uh, so rather, my point was when I was in college, the whole Occupy Wall Street stuff ha- started happening. That's when I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this isn't just theory and like papers I can get A's on, like an A on or like talking points at the table so I can like be machi- like show off my machismo at the at the men's table you know this is like actually affecting actually affecting people's lives and I, like my actions could make a difference so i'd always been going to like climate action women's marches um all of that even like early black lives matter with trayvon martin and all of that um fast forward to this year holy shit like I have been to a lot of, I mean, yeah, we totally call them protests. They were hundred percent marches. I've been in marches with like tens of thousands of people, but like, okay. So everything goes down here. And when the, the protests be start uh, began um, for George Floyd, of course, I was like, well, I'm going to, sh- I'm going to show up. I'm going to wear a mask and whatever, try to socially distance. Sure. We'll do what we can. Um, and we show up to the first one here in San Diego. And we get out of the car and it's Patrick, Abby and I, like our partner. And we're just like, oh, that like, it was like a smell that like, I don't know. It was like a just, it was just eerie. We're walking towards the police department, which is where the call to to gather was, right? We have our, um, what's it called? Our protest signs, you know, just, okay. <laughs> and then there's just this cloud, this dust cloud, like something you would see in the desert. And it's coming towards us. And out of this thick, thick cloud of smoke is just people like crying and like spitting. And like, I'm just like, that's definitely tear gas. And like, it hits you before the cloud hits you, right? And like, Pat keeps like going like through it because he's like, that's definitely the direction we have to. He's just like a person that's like, you know, like if you hear an alarm or you hear someone crying or screaming out, like uh, most people would turn away. and run away. Pat's like, got to run to it and solve the problem. He's like, run into the fire type person. So he keeps going. But I see this family of four with little kids like in the dust cloud. And like, I've already like scoped out the area because like, that's what I do. And I like already know that, okay, behind that building is gonna be the best place to be downwind so that you're not so that the the smoke can carry on, but like, you'll be safe from from inhaling the fumes so they can't see they're crying they're holding their like babies and i'm like bringing them over to behind the building and i'm just like what is going on? pouring like water in their eyes once they were okay how to like reconnect with like refigure out where like patrick and abby were and by the time we get to the police department it is there's just hundreds and hundreds of people like the street uh, the whole parking lot is just all protesters there's all cops in riot gear every 11 minutes or so they're shooting off tear gas into the crowds and it's just 360 like all sides of of uh of la mesa police department and like they're shooting rubber bullets they're shooting flashbangs which is like you ever you ever played like Call of Duty or or even Halo? Counter Strike, son. Counter Strike. Okay, yeah. Let me go back a little further. Counter Strike, and then like the whole screen goes white, and like you can't mm-hmm. hear anything. It's like the buzzing and just your controller shaking. 
but yeah. in real life like that shit is so real like <laughs> like literal like you can't hear anything completely disoriented um just like what the fuck did we just walk into and it's just like yelling and just like it's not a march it's just a standoff and i'm like we have words <laughs> like we just have like we're just like yelling and like they have fucking guns and like people on their and like and like actual i don't even know it was just it was insane to walk into that like the the windows were broken out there was like graffiti everywhere like all over this like cute little san diego town and um it was just fucking wild by the time the sun was gonna set i was like we just have to leave because like what exactly are we going to accomplish here it's only gonna get crazier and it did because they flipped like a pickup truck lit it on fire and started like freaking breaking into the stores the the protesters a bunch of protesters yeah and just like looted like this whole like Vaughn's like grocery store and it's like that was day one okay like I'm like okay what exactly is our role here like who do I get to be in this situation because i'm not the kind of these are things like i'm not the kind of person to stay home and read headlines and be like and be like "Hmm, let me formulate an opinion it's like no i have to be there and that first day i was just like real talk like they were breaking windows and shit and like looting so i'm like i kind of get why the cops are shooting at like shooting rubber bullets and tear gas into the crowd that's their job (laughs) that's their job to protect the neighborhood so I'm just like, the neighborhood's actually legit being fucking destroyed. And, and here's the other thing, like, we had to drive there. So, like, it's not my neighborhood. Like, I, at the time I was living in downtown San Diego, we had to drive to get to La Mesa. So I was just like, what, what, what is going on? Like, what is the right, quote, unquote, right thing to do where I can, like, be a part of this? But I'm like, is this something I even wanted to be a part of? Um, and then... The next day, there was one downtown, and it was like literally marching, like hundreds of people marching past below my do- below my window. And I'm like, okay, this is my literal neighborhood. Like, I'm gonna show up, and like, let's show up, let's stick together, let's bring supplies so we can like help, you know, get wa- the tear gas out of people's eyes if it does escalate to that again. And it was like a prop a quote-unquote proper march where it's like we have chants organized, people are social distancing, everyone has their banners, and, you know, we're disrupting traffic but not destroying anything, okay? Like, it's COVID. It's not like people are really commuting anyway, so it's not like there's, like, huge traffic lines or it's a huge disruption or anything. And we get to Broadway, and there's, like, it was just beautiful. It was a fucking beautiful, mar- like, march. And... The there was like this uh, marching band that was playing. Um, what was that? Guava Island. Do you remember with um, Donald Glover and Rihanna? Did you see that? No. Okay, so I digress. But for the people listening who know that song, there's this like beautiful song at the end of the parade after he's after he's killed um, that plays, and it's like the whole island gets together and marches to it. Okay, so this marching band. Yeah, like IRL, like in San Diego, is March is playing that music, and people are I don't know, it's just like uplifting and beautiful and completely peaceful, and then they just start shoot like lighting us fucking up with tear gas and flashbangs and rubber bullets, and people are getting hit in the head, like like and like mind you, like nothing like had aggravated it at all, 
like we were legit like playing music and just like okay like yeah we stopped traffic there's a million other streets that people can go down like i'm sorry that our like for like our form of protest is is like inconvenience but we were like inconveniencing but i'm not sorry that's the point and we're not destroying anything and they just like light it up and people's like faces are bleeding like it went from like zero to 100 real quick and like pouring like water into people's eyes to get the tear gas out and everyone runs back so like the rest of the day ends up being like this like standoff basically where like our march had been forced to stop because we were trying to get to the the uh court building over at waterfront park the municipal building up at waterfront park but they had stopped us and they keep pushing you know the police keep pushing the line back and i'm like we have to stop like it just became really clear to me like oh got it like i'm really clear that like you guys don't understand how like strategy works and like the cops do because they're trained in this but like we keep falling back so they keep gaining ground and we're trying to get to the state house which means like okay maybe we can't push them back because they have a literal fucking tank (laughs) and rubber bullets but the least we can do is stop losing ground so i was like stop running like just fucking like you'll be like just deal with it like just stand your ground like don't fall back another another block and everybody has to stop running because people are getting trampled so i like sent sent off like little people into the crowd with that message and i mean like it's just crazy it's like playing a fucking strategy game but like in real life and also people are getting really hurt and warcraft that was yeah, StarCraft. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, it was definitely a game, a game of chess with like a lot, a lot more moving pieces. But we saw somebody, like some kid, like high school age kid, uh, throw a water bottle at the cops that day, which set off a bunch of people, a bunch of cops, like shooting at us, right? Um, and Pat grabbed him. And like tackled him to the ground and like was like, if I like if I catch you doing that again, like. Like, don't like, don't do that shit, this, that, and the other. And we did eventually make it to the waterfront park. We made it to the, to the municipal building and we had people, like people gave speeches and whatnot. And, and this man gets up there and he's like, yo, if you're in the back, like don't throw water bottles. Cause like the people in the front lines who are like face to face with all the cops, like we're the ones getting fucking like shot at with rubber bullets and smoke, like all of this stuff. But like, we're not inciting anything. Like we're, pe- like, we're peacefully up there, like on our knees, like kneeling and like, chanting George, George Floyd's name, Breonna Taylor's name. And you've got like these high school kids like in the back, like throwing water bottles. And then we're just getting like shot in the face, you know? Yeah. So, high school kids. <laughs> like for real, like, cause what are they going to do? It's COVID. Like they're just like, cool. We get to like throw water bottles at cops and we get to loot shit. Sure. Like, yeah. it's not like, you know, it's not like 30 year olds or 40 year olds out there. Like we're all like on our knees, like trying to like have this like, you know, righteous, action and then we have like a bunch of kids being like so we're getting in a fist fight with a cop cool like no <laughs> so yeah, that was you guys were like gandhi and they were like malcolm x uh, dude well it was like i thought what was really beautiful from like one day to the next which is like the day before was like literal the shit on fire like the town's on fire and then the next day having this like meeting on waterfront park where everybody is going up there and saying what they have to say, including like, hey, we need to self-regulate. Like, uh, it, I think what's important too, like in in these movements, is that like we're elevating and bringing the volume up on Black voices 
right? So like it was important that it was a black man that went up there and said, hey, I see you guys throwing water bottles in the back and it's not okay because you're taking away – like you, you – like the cops don't need to be incited to like – to to use force against us. But the second you throw something, it's like you're justifying, like they're going to take it, like the cops are going to definitely go overboard about it, but you're giving anybody like even like a fraction of a doubt that we're the ones instigating. And the whole point is that we're not, it's uninstigated. So stop like taking away from the whole point we're trying to make. And I think it was really powerful that it was coming from him. And then like he basically gave everybody else like the green light, like, hey, self-regulate. If you see somebody acting in this way, shut them down um, because we need to shut it down or else the cops are going to shut it down and we're going to get caught in the fray. Um, so I thought that was beautiful from one day to the next that we were able to really like organize in that way. For sure. Well, was that the day that your husband got shot with a rubber bullet? Yeah. So he was shot point like from like 10 feet away right in the back and it like tore through his skin and it was just like it was awful like very very i mean yeah it was really bad like he fell to his knees and everything like someone ran over to him make sure he was okay um but what was worse was that a flashbang went off like at his foot and like he lost his hearing in his in his left ear for like two weeks fuck yeah and like That's ain't crazy. nobody had health insurance. <laughs> like and even if you do, for it's sure. just like at the height of COVID, it's like, okay, cool, I'll just deal with not hearing. Yeah, I don't what are they gonna do for your I'm not gonna ear. go into the hospital and like get COVID because you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, plus what are they gonna do for your ear with modern medicine? Yeah. Are they gonna give you a new ear? Yeah, for sure. Here's some pills. <laughs> so you get addicted and be another like addicted. <laughs> for sure. Here's some painkillers. Yeah, go fuck yourself. For sure. All right. Let's, so let's circle it back, actually, and let's connect it a little bit. The idea of intention. How important is the idea of intention in a protest, in a march? And do you believe that most modern day marches and protests actually have a clear intention that's dispersed about the, the tribe, the community, whoever is in the march? Does the question, does the question make sense? It does. So intention is everything when it comes to protest of any kind. Any sort of social disobedience without intention is anarchy. It's chaos. So that's why, okay, right? So like intention of the first protest, we're angry. We're going to let you know that we're angry and this is in, like inappropriate. Like we're not going to stand for this. Okay, but like what is, what is our goal? To let you know that we're angry. Okay, well, that's why everything got lit on fucking fire. Okay, good job. Good job, team. We all did it. All right. But then, you know, by the next day, it was like, what is our, well, like, what was our intention is to march through the, a, a specific, like, specified layout streets, like, uh, heavily populated and, and trafficked streets in San Diego to get the word out that this is not just George Floyd. This is not just Breonna Taylor. This is not just Louisville. This happens here in San Diego too. It's across our country and we're not going to stand for it. And um, we have to, we have to check ourselves too. Like our, our police department is not without, without its, um, without its issues. And we're, uh, we expect the at the, so at the times like we expect the the officers involved in George Floyd's murder to be held accountable. So that first and foremost, but also in San Diego proper, we were looking at getting um, you know putting some teeth behind the the civilian um, 
review board of, of the police department here, uh, which has really been gridlocked or like locked down, shut down since COVID started. So we had specific demands um, by the next day. And that's why that looked, it looked very different on our end, right? Did it look that different on the cops end? No, they still got to shoot off the same amount of rounds, all of that jazz. Um, but there was less property uh, well, damaged. And on our end, it was like, we're playing music and giving speeches. You know what I'm saying? We're marching. That's, yeah. that feels a lot more productive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the idea of absolute power absolutely corrupts. And that's a human thing. That's not even a police thing. You know, like police, police officers have a lot of power and that power corrupts. Like it's very, it's very easy to see all over the world, not just the United States, but all all over the world. And um, I mean, and you can see it in these protests because what happens when you have 10,000 people marching and some people start feeling themselves. Some people start feeling themselves and they're like, I got some power. We got 10, we're 10,000 deep right now. We're let's, sure. let's fuck some shit up. And it, it's, and then it becomes literally the same thing. It's, uh, I, yeah, yeah, for sure. But does that make sense or no? It does, it does in action, it does in actions and in the moment, but like systemically, not so because like here's the thing like the people who are looting and this is not me defending looting like or speaking against it because like it's just not that's just uh absolutely like ashdaya (laughs) non-stealing like going back to you absolutely not something that like i would ever participate in nor is it my place as a latino woman to to loot you know if you are going to go down the rabbit hole of saying like well whatever let's not even go there but um the people looting are not don't have a career in looting where this is their lifestyle this is how they act all the time mob mentality is real is mm-hmm. real but the cops have a fraternity mindset that allows them to act in ways that most civilians could not without severe repercussions versus looters who get away with something during a hurricane katrina during protests um in a way that's not systemic that's random and mob driven and spontaneous um and they either get away with it or they don't um if they were to be caught they wouldn't get away with it whereas police officers were they to be caught systemically do get away with murder that's the difference a lot of this actually makes me think of uh uh 19 or i'm sorry 1765 and uh, Patrick Henry and his uh, amazing speech of give me liberty or give me death. Mm. And during his speech, he was saying Caesar had his Brutus, Charles I, his Cromwell, and George III. And then people started screaming treason, treason, because uh, George III said that like uh, Patrick Henry and John Hancock were the only ones that wouldn't be pardoned. And he stopped when he said George III, and he said, if this be treason, let's make the most of it. Yeah. And that's essentially like, that's a fucking powerful idea and foundation that this country is built on. Like, I'm an immigrant. You're an, you're you're not an immigrant, right? Or you are an immigrant. No, I was born in New York. My parents are immigrants. Yeah. So, like, this country was built on the foundation of... Uh, I I, want to say social unrest, really, 
in a lot of ways because like freedom freedom is the idea right and 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 fucking gangsters there were some gangster motherfuckers (laughs) like those old white dudes with curls like they were some gangster dudes like can you imagine (laughs) like if if he if it wouldn't have worked out they would have hung him oh 100 percent not like prison for five years, none of that. Like uh, right now, recently, there was a, an Iranian wrestler um, in Iran that was doing, that was part of a social protest about um, like something that was going on in the government and they executed him publicly. Oh, God, that's so awful. That's tragic. Yeah, uh, but, Trump. And, actually, and Trump I know that actually, that happens, but oh, sorry, tell me. Tr- Trump put out a tweet that asked to pardon him. Because a lot of like MMA fighters were like, hey, like, what the fuck? You know, like, can we pardon this dude? And nah, they, they wanted to put out a statement. And like, yeah. he wrestled for the country, <laughs> you know? That's just disgusting. I mean, that's exactly the kind, like, that's exactly the kind of thing that like, it, it brings perspective to like, the United States. Like, this is what, this is the thing. I always tell people, I'm like, I fucking love this country. I'm proud to be American. That's why I'm critical of it. Like, this is like the kind of parent I'm going to be for sure. But like, like, I don't give participation awards, bitch. Like the police have to do better if they're going to be the American police system. I don't care that they're better than most, like most other countries. Like I've been to lots of other countries. Like I'm from South America. I'm from the Caribbean. I spend time in Tijuana. Like I get it. Like, okay, our cops are better than theirs. Like that's yeah. just like that's just not the standard for me. The standard for me has never been most people. Oh, well, it's better than most people. I'm like, fuck that. Like, I'm good. Like, I'm not gonna that's not who I'm gonna compare. I'm not gonna compare myself to Photoshop supermodels, and I'm not gonna compare myself to most people. Like, that's just we can do better as a as a country. And then that's why I go out and protest. Not because I hate this place. If I hated this place, I would just leave. I have no problem. Like you said, I've lived many places. I have no problem leaving. But I stay because I love it. And I know we could do better. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we for sure could do better. I mean, it's always like a thing that we can do better. Not more, but better. Better. Right? right? Like, I, I've been teaching cops for a really long time. There's incredible people in the police forces, and I'm really grateful to have them. Um, and there's also not great people in the police forces Go that there's do unlawful arrests and grab your dick when they're arresting you for no reason and write forged up charges. You know what I mean? Like it's that's that's the reality. And I'm white and that happened to me. So I can imagine what would have happened if I wasn't. Uh, I mean, I guess kind of white. Maybe to them I'm not because my last name is really long. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Too many syllables. <laughs> How did you get past Ellis Island without just getting it shortened to to do to four letters. I, I, I flew in. Ah, uh, that's how. <laughs> <laughs> I, flew, I flew in. All right. So, what does your daily life look like right now? Yeah. Okay. Um, my daily life looks okay. So I, I wake up like six forty-five, seven latest, and then at seven thirty a.m. I teach. Uh, Zoom yoga class one on one, and after that, I uh, so it's um, after that I go for a run or I do like or I work out. So like I do your, like your movement therapy, your movement therapy um, videos, or I do my own strength training thing or whatever. Um, basically, I work out, and then I have breakfast and tea with my husband, and then I get to work. And getting to work basically. <laughs> 
it's a mix of um, conference calls with South America and um, speaking to publishers and painting. I do lots of painting and drawing. It's a good fucking life. Fucking love it. And then around lunchtime, I or what would be lunchtime, I pack Etsy orders uh, for my shop. And then I take my dog for a long walk over to the post office, mail those babies out, go U.S. Postal Service, okay? Then I get back and get back to work. Um, Yeah, and it's just like a a, – so I get back – basically I get back to painting, painting and conference calls. And then end of the day is like social social time. So I either get – on the phone with a loved one now because COVID or I go to the beach or on a hike or something like that. Or I make dinner with my husband and, and, uh, read. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. All right. We're going to do like a lightning round. It might be really long and then we're going to jump back into the conversation. If you weren't an artist slash yogi slash all these things, what would you be? Uh, porn star. I love it. What is one thing that you would love to do to transform the world? Oh, one thing that I would Or love. like, what is one thing that you would love to see as a transformation in the world? Oh, uh, for sure. Access to, access to education and basic human rights for kids, food, shelter, education. Like we can, I love it. we can totally do that. Water. Like these are basic needs that are a hundred percent possible. For, for favorite, favorite porn category. I don't watch porn really. Oh, cartoons probably. Like probably like I love like a good like sexy web comic, but uh, I don't watch <sighs> I porn <love> actually. <laughs> Most recommended book. Same. Um, porn is definitely not good for your brain. It gives yeah, you yeah. unreal expectations of what sex and love should look like, and it is not those things. So if you're a young kid listening to this, stop watching porn. Yeah, I I like I really never got into I just love the idea of it. Like I love listening to porn stars talk and like following them on Instagram and stuff, but like I don't I don't really watch porn. I've never really watched porn. M- most recommended book. Uh Oh, oh um definitely The Alchemist by Le Coelho. Mm. Yes, I used to reread that every uh, Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And then Siddhartha Herman Hesse, for sure, because that book changed my life. They're very similar in a lot of ways. They are. They're very similar in a lot of ways. Also, both very short reads. So if you're yeah, out there and you don't like reading, they're great entry books. Yeah, they're easy. They're story-driven. So people will like tend to read it and then like actually read my following recommendations after that. <laughs> for sure. Favorite cartoon? Oh, uh, Steven Universe, for sure. Or maybe uh, Avatar, Last Airbender. Mm. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. Favorite movie? Favorite movie? Easy Rider. Easy Rider. What's that? Oh, it's this great uh, like Americana film from back in like the 70s, I think. And it's basically the story of these two, <laughs> these two guys on lowrider motorcycles who go on this cross-country road show, they fill their gas tank with all these drugs and they're going to go sell it like on the other side of the country. And Ooh. they, it's just, just your, not typical, but like, cause like they really like set the trail on this, like America road trip 
like two guys on their fucking motorcycles road tripping across the country and they stay with all of these different amazing characters jack uh nicholson's in it um and they stay with like a family who's living off uh who just lives off the land um like in the farm and they stay at this like hippie commune these are like all real places they stay with all these different different types across the um across the United States back in the seventies and might have been the sixties. And, um, they get to this, uh, they get to New Orleans. Right. And then they like sell the drugs and get, you know, get all this money. Right. And then they, it's the first place that they spend money to stay at this like whorehouse. It's the first time they paid for a meal this entire trip. And they, pay to hang out with these women. They haven't had to do that this whole time, right? They've just been, like, falling in and out of love the whole time. And then they drop a bunch of acid, except, like, plot twists. They actually drop a bunch of acid on the set as well. And mm. the camera guys just follow them around. And they go to the cemetery, and it's this, like, insane – like, uh, it's basically, like, a super bad trip. And it's, like, that's the turning point of the of the story because it's all about being American and how being American is about being free and being independent and not depending on anyone, not the government, not any, like just doing your own thing, making your own trail. And the second that they like hand off money and like actually pay, like get money involved, like their whole like lives basically fall apart. And then the, and then, well, I don't even want to tell you the end, but it's just, dad, don't tell me. I'm actually going to watch it. This sounds great. Yeah. Highly recommend. And the soundtrack is just, Oh God. It's so, it's so, I love it. What book are you reading right now? Right now I'm reading Becoming by Michelle Obama. Nice. It's what, super fun. What um what's your favorite like music category? Um probably right now. like this is so basic, but like reggaeton, I guess. Like I'm not like a huge, huge music person. Um but like I run, like I've been listening to more music than usual lately because I, while I'm running, I listen to like reggaeton and like anime intro music. <laughs> I <laughs> like love a combination it. of those two really gets me going. So, <laughs> if you yeah. if you were a food, what kind of food would you be? Sushi. I love sushi. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be? Or if you were a vehicle, what kind of vehicle would you be? Oh, um, oh, fucking Pegasus. Pegasus. I love it. <laughs> I don't know. What is, if you were a type of ice cream, it doesn't even have to be a real type of ice cream. What type of ice cream would you be? Like maybe it's a combination that hasn't even been made yet. Yeah. Oh, but you know what? I do have like a favorite kind of ice cream, I think. This is my favorite kind of ice cream as a kid when I still ate processed sugar and dairy, which I don't. But um, my favorite my favorite ice cream was like a creamsicle. I used to eat those all the time on the ice cream shop with mm. my grandfather. Nice. Yeah. If you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be? Tiger. Nice. Like, literally, a tiger can kill you with a bitch slap. Like, yeah, crush your skull. For sure. Definitely. Speaking of that, um, I've heard from somewhere that you've lit somebody's face on fire at some point. Is that true? Totally. He deserved it. Yes, it's true. Was this at a protest? No, it was not at a protest. It was way less selfless in action it was um my i had a a really terrible relationship in high school with like a very abusive guy in the in the army as it were and uh, but it's not this is not political at all and we had gotten in an argument and he put my right arm in an arm bar i draw like that's what i do and he was like i will snap your fucking hand like arm in half 
and uh, I won't think twice about it. I didn't even think about it. Like, it just happened, but, like, I took the Zippo out of my back pocket with my left hand and just, like, snapped it on and just lit his fucking beard on fire and shit went up real quick. Nice. So I still have my right arm, and he had a shave, and he looked hilarious with a shave beard. (laughs) So I win. (laughs) I love it. Well, that's what you get for picking on a little girl. Yeah, bitch. All right. You're dying. Oh, God. You are dying. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a lot of people don't appreciate that statement uh, with the three dots on it. Uh, last meal. Last meal. Ooh. Uh, I mean, probably like a proper like kaiseki, like Jap- traditional Japanese splay out of like yeah for sure that's what i would want from, from like from like jiro from like yeah 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 totally or <laughs> i was in Shira, so i was in, in jiro Sushi. yeah yeah for sure when i was in um shirakawa go which is like this village out in uh rural japan i had one of the most amazing meals of my life and this little like little grandmother type <laughs> woman served it to me and i just like i, was like, I wonder it. if just, uh, they're still open i'd like to go to japan soon <laughs> Oh, definitely. I'll give you, it's called Magoaman. It's a traditional ryokan style in like tatami mats. You eat on the floor, um, grass thatched roof. Uh, it's a UNESCO historical site. So they have to keep everything historically accurate. It's wonderful. I love it. Last experience and with who? Could be Before as long as you want, as short as you want. Yeah, you're dying. Last experience. I think I'd want to go out to the desert with my husband and just like spend a night under the stars. I love it. Piece of advice for the next generation. For that, like, like Gen Z, like the generation under me or like the ones that are about to be born. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Whoever, <laughs> maybe all of them. Right. Cause if it's for Gen Z, the other ones too. I mean, I, I read Marcus Aurelius's meditations and Zen Buddhism and Taoist texts. So still relevant. Okay. Well, I don't know still if relevant. as relevant as that, but I'll say piece of advice that all there is, is who you are in this moment. Everything else is Maya. It's illusion. So choose, choose a path of kindness and compassion to yourself and the people around you and you'll know you've lived a good life if you keep choosing that direction what would you have written on your tombstone last line last word last sentence whatever Mm, do yoga drink tea draw something (laughs) i fucking love it (laughs) i mean i love it because that's 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 your life right like that's your life and truthfully those consistencies the only consistent things in my life I get it. I mean, I fucking get it, you know, because like eights are very extreme in a lot of ways. Um, There's also the deep need to go against. Yeah. Right. So it's a constant uh, struggle internally. A lot of times it just turns inward and it's just like against ourselves. Absolutely. That's when I read that I was because I was like on the fence on whether I was a type one or type eight. A, a bit like right in the beginning but once I read it was like oh no type 8's the reason they're called the challengers because they have like their basic need is to go against I was just like oh it me 100% like that's always been true 
Yeah, I mean, that's why I avoid protests and politics. I think that's why I lean into it. I don't, here's the thing, like, I don't have the privilege to, like, avoid politics. I don't feel like I do. I feel like I'm going to have black kids, and even if they weren't, they'd be half Latino, and, like, they don't get to, I don't get to raise them in a way where I get to operate outside of politics because they won't be treated outside of politics because they're not going to look like they're allowed to be outside of politics. So I'm going to do everything yeah. that I can, fight tooth and nail, to get society as close to the direction that I think is the path of, of kindness and compassion as I can before bringing those kids to light, to life, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I totally get it. Uh, what's your ideal living situation? Oh, right now, this apartment that I just moved into, it's like near the beach. It's just like, it's just me, Pat and Lucy. But uh, no, ideal living. But but yes, yes, 100%. I love this place. I'm grateful for it. There's literally a hummingbird drinking out of a hummingbird feeder, like four feet to my left right now in front of this beautiful tree. Like, um, my ideal living situation is like my goal, like goals where I'm, where like what I'm manifesting and creating and like learning and, and building is an earth ship, which is a completely sustainable building um, that's made of upcycled and recycled and repurposed materials uh, out in the woods near a natural water source um, with a, with a lavender labyrinth with a lavender walking le- uh, meditation labyrinth out front. And I'm growing my own food, not all of it, just enough food. And there's space to have guests over. There's space to entertain. Once once having like people over again is a thing. Like I love, I love me a good dinner party that leads to a sleepover. <laughs> of course um, you do. Yeah. <laughs> In all of the ways. And um and yeah, and then having my workspace I think having my workspace in a separate building would be would be ideal. I think I've never had that. So I, I couldn't tell you for sure. But right now in my head, having like a tiny house as my workstation, like just mine, like nobody else's literally just maybe I'll get a cat to live in the tiny house with me and just do my artwork and uh, creations out there. Um, I think is my ideal living situation right now. Yeah. I, I love it. I love it. Uh, well, wow. This was really as amazing as could be expected, but wasn't. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Uh, it also sounds like we'll be neighbors in that lab- lavender labyrinth um, in I the wouldn't forest. Be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. I would love yeah, that. There's, 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 there's nothing that surprises me anymore. Uh, is there any last parting words that you'd like to share with the listeners and also well actually yeah let's do that sure um i guess i would say that you know like just do you and if you don't know who you is like keep trying different things on like life is long (laughs) like you get to be whoever you want like i've i've i could write a book with 20 chapters of different like part-time jobs And like, I did all the things you're not, you're like supposed to, like not supposed to do. And, um, 
And fuck it. I learned a lot about being about life from being a barista. And I learned a lot about life from working, you know, with librarians and, and, and children in public schools and in government and out of government, all of that. Like, the more you do, the more you learn about yourself and the world around you. And I think that um, that's worth the exploration. Like, you're not wasting time. There's no wasted time. No effort is wasted. Yeah. And the people that you meet. Right. Because if you didn't work as a barista like this, this would never happen in this moment right now. Yeah, exactly. It's all about it's all about who you meet, who you get to meet for sure. What you learn, who you meet. Oh, there's so much amazing things. All right. So where can people find you and find out more about you? Sure. So I live part time on Instagram <laughs> at Samela Art, S-A-M-E-L-A-A-R-T. Um, and then for my like pro- very professional website, it's www.samelaart.com, S-A-M-E-L-A-A-R-T.com. And, um, that's basically it. My Etsy shop. Well, if you could just like click my Etsy shop, that'd be great. I'm going to link, I'm going to link all of these things in there, you know, but really just like, if you want to like hit me up and connect, like I'm super about it for real. Like hit me up on, on Instagram. I love collaborations with other artists and musicians and, um, I'm all about, that creation life if you want to know more about the work that i'm doing down in Tijuana as well that's a great place to reach out to me um because i i could talk about that for days i love it and i love you thank you for joining me uh and i hope that the reader the listeners really really listened to some of the words that were said on this podcast because there's been a lot of powerful um ideas and thoughts shared so thank you for joining me and thank you for sharing a piece of yourself and some of your time with me and the listeners for sure thank you so much thank you for having me on here i love you too and i look forward to talking again soon